May the Lord bless the reading of the word. Let's kneel in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we come before the great I Am, who in this book alone was addressed as the I Am in the form of your Son, Jesus Christ. As we have read, he was not only the Word of God, the reason, the Logos, but he was God in the flesh. And what an awesome concept that you are the triune God, the three persons in one divine being, the Elohim of Genesis 1. In the beginning, the gods created the worlds, the heaven, heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, your word says, let us make man in our image. Oh Lord, what a glorious God you are. The three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Yet one essence, one nature, and one being. And who are we, Lord, that you are mindful of us? Or who is the Son of Man that you visit him? Indeed, though we are fallen creatures, indeed, though we are corrupt, through birth, through the fallen nature of Adam. Yet you have lifted us up into the heavenlies through the blood of thy Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit, through whom you are able to Recreate the souls of men. Regenerate the souls of men and women. That he would be our present teacher this morning. That he would enter the hearts of all and convict, teach, comfort, strengthen, guide. And that through him, you may be glorified in our lives. Oh, Father in heaven, we're thankful that we could once again approach your word of, of grace. We pray we may approach it in trembling. Your word says that you will only accept this man that is of a contrite heart, a broken spirit, and one that trembles at your word. Let us never take it for granted. Let us never think it's something mundane or something that's just black and white on paper or our devices. Lord, we pray that we may open our hearts to receive it 
that the ground on which it falls may be prepared to bring forth much fruit to your honor and glory, some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. Father, we pray that you'd give unction to our dear brother as you expounded, and that you would provide his needs as the word is ministered today. Father, help us not to be vain doers or just hearers of thy word, but doers of thy word. That we may put it to practice, that we may magnify the Lord in all that we say, think, or do. Father, we're mindful also for those that are not here, but they are tuning in on cyberspace and through telephones. And we pray that you would be with them and comfort and strengthen them. There are many that are sick, shut in. In many ways, we are all shut in in this pandemic season. But those that have been indoors for such a long time because of infirmities and illnesses and sicknesses, we're especially mindful for our dear sister Olga Ordo, who's going through perhaps the test of her life. We pray that you'd be her comfort, her strength, her keeper and her healer. And above all that she may feel your presence, that she's in good hands, the hands of the Father. Father, we pray for the many that are ailing from day to day, that are in pain, that are in suffering, that you'd be with them also, heal them and comfort them, especially those that are struggling on hospital beds through this COVID pandemic in the States and in Canada. And throughout this world, your people help us, Lord, to persevere, to place our faith and our trust and our hope in you. Father, we pray for the aged, the widows, the widowers, those that are single, those that are alone especially, that you would be their comfort and strength, and you would prod our hearts and prick our hearts to, to spend time to visit. We have no excuse, Lord. We have telephones. We have the internet, we have many ways to communicate. Help us not to think of only our own welfare, but the welfare of our brothers and sisters, for this is your command in your word. We pray for the government. We pray that their eyes, first of all, would be open to many of the errors that they are committing and sins in in misguiding and leading the country. Yet we are told to honor them, especially because you have put them in place. We pray that you would open their eyes to the truth and that they would rule with truth and the fear of God, which is greatly lacking. Be with us now as we would Look to your word for a blessing. And may your name be praised and adored through our week.
frail lips. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Others have given the Apostle John the, the moniker, the Eagle of Patmos. They call him that because he was given the vision, the unveiling, the revelation on the Isle of Patmos that he was lifted up, as it were, like an eagle to be able to see far. And the eye of the birds of prey is one of the marvels of creation. When you read what they're capable of, capable of reading a sign, you know, about the size of a, a like a small, small road sign from over a mile away, something like that. The degree of precision with their vision. John is perhaps my favorite gospel account, though I'm thankful for all of them. And John, when he records, I, I believe the, the Gospel of John was written last, chronologically, in terms of the Gospels. When you think about that, John was a young man with Christ. You would think that he would have right away written down his recollections and recorded them quickly. But he seems to have thought about these things and then written them down perhaps a little bit later with a bit of reflection. And the account that he records for us here is unlike the other Gospels. These words deserve a better voice than mine to speak them. They're timeless. They're grand. We could spend a sermon on almost each of these verses in sequence. But the Lord laid it on my heart, perhaps, to consider not the earthly details, not the chronological details, not the physical details of the advent of our Lord, but instead the spiritual vision that John records here for us. He begins in the same way that the Old Testament began, in the beginning. And from that framework, he, he, he begins. He says simply, the word was with God, and the word was God. He links the Son and the Father so intimately that they are one. There can be no other understanding of this verse. The word was with God, and the word was God. The Word. Christ is often referred to as the Word. As a thought experiment, you may think, well, why did Christ come into the world when he did? Why not wait? Why not wait till the age of video and instant communication and the reach of mass media? His message could have been unfiltered, sent around the globe. There is power in words. There is 
I would argue, the most power in words versus even the spoken word versus uh, video. When you read a word, there's something that goes on in your mind. You need to decode the symbols. You need to understand the word. You need to, then you need to take that word in. And you need to think about it. You need to make sense of it. You cannot rely on um, the emotional cues of the speaker. You know, we can tell a lot about what someone's communicating by the way that they communicate it. And there's plenty of studies about nonverbal communication. But the written word is different. The written word you must take in. You must make sense of it. In one way, it must become part of you in order for it to be decoded. And now you must ask yourself the question, what does this word mean now to me? The second verse simply says, the same was in the beginning with God. We read about Christ being begotten and many foolish people have tried to equate the begetting of Christ with his beginning. That's the wrong way to look at it. If you think about it even from a simple human perspective, when someone speaks, that isn't when the thought originated. The thought came before the speech happened. The word only gives utterance to the thought that was already there. And so it was with Christ. He was from the beginning. He was in the beginning. He was the thought of God. But the expression of that thought came in the, in the fullness of time and came in the form of a baby. All things were made by him and without him or outside of him was not anything made that was made. Again, if you were to turn to the first chapter of Genesis, you will see again and again the Lord spoke. God spoke. His intention was revealed. The, the intention already pre-existed. But it was revealed in its proper time. And here we understand that Christ himself, the man who walked the streets of Galilee, was the embodiment of that expression of God. God's intention made known. And when we frame Christ in that context, I think it's a little bit easier to understand what it means for the word to be made flesh. The intentions of God revealed and revealed in this man. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. When God spoke, life happened. So it makes sense also that his expression to the world, his word to the world, the word made flesh, would also bring life. And this life would be like light. We know what light does in the darkness. But we can't understand as easily life coming to something that is dead. We've never seen that before. For us, there's the mysterious origin of life. A baby is born, the baby grows to adulthood, and then dies. But we understand what it is to be in darkness and to see a light. And this is the effect that Christ had. 
in a world of death, life came, and it was like light coming into a world of darkness. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Could not, could not hold it in, could not contain it. The greatest darkness cannot prevent the light of a single match. I remember going to the caverns outside of uh, um, uh, the old camp in Juniata in Pennsylvania, and there were the, the, the caverns that were there not far from the, the camp, and one part of it, you know, the, the man would, whoever was leading the group, would uh, turn off the electric lights and say, now you're experiencing complete darkness. This is complete darkness. But the smallest spark, I don't know if you've ever had the, uh, seen this before, but if you have a, a blanket in a dark room and it's made out of some sort of synthetic fabric that takes a charge, sometimes if you pull the blanket, you'll see a little spark, a little arc. And it's interesting, it's shocking to see that light. But of course you can see that light because of the darkness. That little spark. It lights up. The darkness can't prevent it. And so it was when the light of God came into a world of death. Into this account now, the Apostle John interjects the account of John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one who came to announce this to prepare the way. We won't dwell much on him. We have in, in the past, in, on Wednesday nights, we had a, a, a Bible study recently about him and about his work. And it was necessary and it was important. It prepared the way. If we go ahead to Verse 9, he says, That was the true light, and now this is speaking again of Christ, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. What does that mean? I said the world was in darkness, but here there's a light that lights every man that comes into the world. Even though humanity has fallen, even though man is a fallen creature, there is still the witness, the word of God, there. A little light. Something sent before any man or woman begins to turn their face to the true light. Provenient grace, Wesley called it. A work of God. I love the way that uh, Tozer, who's one of my favorite authors, describes it. He says, salvation always originates with God, never with us. The response is ours, but the call is always his. We are always a secondary response to a primary call. And I, I like the way that he explains that because it helps me understand how my will fits with the will of God. God reached out first. He says also, Tozer also said, salvation is from our side a choice, but from God's side is a divine conquest. That seems to put it about right to me. When we realize that he was there all along, calling, wooing, reaching out to us, but that still requires a response from us. 
And so that little light that lights every man, there is, there is the account of God revealed in his creation. There is the account of God revealed in his word. Those two things are two little lights leading every man and woman to consider their place in creation. It's no accident that every people group in the entire world has some form of religion, some form of consciousness of the spirit. From the darkest jungles of Africa to the, uh, the tribes in the Amazon rainforest uh, to the, the headhunters in the hills of New Guinea, they all have an understanding that they're part of something else and there is a higher power. Where did they get that? From where did that come? There is a light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. That has to be the supreme tragedy of humanity. Every man lit by that light that would come into the world yet not realizing who Christ was when he came. He came unto his own. Now it gets worse. He came unto his own, the ones that had been chosen by him, the ones that bore the name of Israel, the prince with God. And they didn't see him either. But, and here's where the story turns, but, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I like the King James wording of this verse. I understand that perhaps from a linguistic standpoint, it may not be 100% correct, but I think it gives a little bit more of the flavor of what John is talking about here. The word power can be also translated as right. I'm aware of that. But I think the word right has become sullied in our modern understanding of that, and power is probably a better word for our generation, because it is indeed supernatural. Not something conferred by government, but indeed something divine. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God? How can this be? Weren't those the words of Nicodemus? How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Of course not. That's ridiculous. But the birth that comes must be a, a birth that comes from above. And again, Christ, the word of God to us, explains what this means. Here was a man, in all points tempted like we are, as the word says, yet without sin, so filled with the Holy Spirit of God that he was both man and God. The word of God come in the flesh. Now we can understand what it means to be born of God. To become filled with the Spirit. So what happens? What is, the, what is the essential fact of a spirit that matters to us? It's simply this, that spirit has the ability to penetrate. 
our body, our personality, can be completely penetrated by the Spirit of God. And the only change will be that that which is evil and impure will be driven out. That is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. We saw it first in Christ. We understood it first in Christ. But it can be true of us as well. We too can be filled with the Spirit of God. To the point where we can walk as he walked. That's the essential teaching of the Christian faith. Not an improvement, not an adding of good works that tips the balance in our favor, but a change of nature. The Spirit of God penetrating a man or woman, driving out from him or her the evil, fallen, dead, and dark nature to create a new being now, a being indeed born from above. The Spirit comes from above. And this new, this new Spirit-filled creature, this new creation, can now walk as he walked. No longer needs to sin. Can be indeed free from sin. We see that in Scripture. He that, that walks in the Spirit will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. This is how it's done. And we saw it first in Christ. We saw what it looked like. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said to Philip, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. What can that mean? Christ refers to himself in another place as the door. And again, if we return to the illustration of light and darkness, perhaps it becomes a little bit more apparent. My children, when they go to sleep, they like to have the door open of their rooms. Why is that? They don't like the darkness. Leave the door open a bit, Daddy, so the light can come in. Christ became for us an open doorway through which we can see the light of the Father. The light of the Father flowed through that open doorway into our darkened world. And it says, and we beheld his glory. Have you, is there anything more glorious than light? This morning, we were driving, uh, there's a new extension now that's been built from Highway 7 up to Major Mac on the 427. It just opened a few months ago. It's nice. It cuts our drive to church down by about 5, 10 minutes maybe. And uh, as we turned onto the highway this morning, the road was wet. Snow, of course, and salt melts the snow. And the light was at such an angle that there was just incredible glare off the, off the road surface. It was blinding to look into. And uh, even before that, when we were driving in this morning, uh, I po uh, Grace pointed out to the kids that this, the sun, sometimes in the winter you'll see these rainbows, these horizontal rainbows at the edges of the sun. They're called sun dogs. They're made by ice crystals in the air. Uh, the light of the sun is refracting on them and it creates a spectrum, a rainbow, right? On either side, around the sun. And I said to the children, you know, it says about God that 
there's a rainbow circling his throne. Maybe it's going to look a little bit like that, but complete. But I said, human words don't really do it justice. When we use words, we're only kind of pushing at, poking at meaning when we talk about the things of God, because he's spirit. And we're talking about him in terms of physical things. But is there anything more glorious than light? I can't think of anything more glorious than that. To be exposed to brightness, a blinding, glorious brightness that warms us, that thrills us. Full of grace and truth. Both. A synonym for grace is mercy. Often the word is the same, but translated differently in different spots. Mercy and truth. Don't we need both? Anyone that's walked with the Lord, I think, for even a short time realizes the importance of both. We need the truth of God, but we find the truth unyielding when we transgress. We realize that, and then we realize how much we need God's mercy, how much we need his grace, how we walk by grace. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. But the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It was necessary that the law come first. It says the law was spiritual, it was holy, it was just, it was good. But there was only one problem, we're not. And so grace and truth had to come with Jesus Christ. And we can understand now that the law was there to make sin exceedingly sinful. To remove from us any, any misconception that we could fix our fallen state. If you believe that you can do something about yourself, you set the work of Christ uh, aside. It becomes of none effect. If you think you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, as it were, and for those that don't understand that in, these, in this day and age, you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The straps are on the sides of your boots. They're meant to pull your boot onto your foot. But if you're lying down, you can't, no matter how hard you tug on those straps, there's no way you're standing up. The language is kind of breaking down on some of these things that we speak anymore. We don't even know what the metaphor means. You cannot fix yourself. And so it was necessary that he come, that he give us the, the, the full expression of what God intended, that God had never intended for the law to save, as Christ himself said to the Pharisees. The law was never meant to save. You were never capable of doing it on your own, which is why Christ had to come to show us. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Our journey back to God begins with a realization that there is a God. It follows that I'm apart from him. The law points that out. But we realize also that we cannot approach him. He dwells in light and in him is no darkness at all. In our fallen state we cannot approach him. We need someone, a daysman, 
as Job says, to come between us. So he sent his son. He sent his son to be that one who would stand between. But we read, I think it's in Romans 8, that we know the son by the spirit. It's good and it's right that we remember Christmas every year. That we remember that God came into the world. And even in this secular age that we live in, this time of year, I happen to be in Princess Otto wandering the aisles and I hear Christmas hymns over the radio, a little jazzy of course. But the message is there for those that want to listen. The King has come. God come into the world. It's there for those who want to listen. So it's right and it's good that we remember that monumentous event once a year. But don't let it stay with the physical. Don't get wrapped up with the baby in the manger. Look beyond that to the spirit. That's where you will meet Christ. You won't meet him at the manger. You'll meet him in the spirit when you realize what he did for you. And that he is indeed God with us. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. Amen. Would a brother please select a hymn? We heard about the light of God this morning. None other than Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. The same Christ shows up two chapters later to Nicodemus in their world, perhaps the most well-known verse in the whole world, and that was um, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me read the uh, following verses. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So what is the condemnation? If he doesn't judge any man, he doesn't condemn any man? This is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. People don't like the light because it exposes their sinfulness. That's what the Lord does. The Lord exposes our sinfulness, but he can do no more, as we have heard. The end of the law is faith in Jesus Christ. The intent that the law came was that we would believe in the light in Jesus Christ. And he brought us the law of the spirit of life and truth, the spirit of life, which is the truth of the gospel, which is able to enliven us, which is able to give us that life that we heard of in the first chapter, he is the light of life in men and is able to give us a new life that we don't have to be ashamed 
to come before God. Because we are doing those things which please him. And this is the light that God commends in men. When we respond to that light, we don't have to be afraid of the truth. Our deeds are manifest, are shown, are declared that they are not wrought by us, but that they are wrought in God. They are performed in God, in Christ. I've always taught my children, don't be afraid of the truth. Don't be afraid to face the truth. Don't be afraid to, to stand at lies in the face. Because no one can touch us if God be with us. If God be with us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? If we continue to, ride, to, to, to run and to hide because of our shame, because of our guilt, because of fear of men, we'll be fugitives our whole lives. But when we stand up against evil, when we stand up against lies, when we stand up against sin, God is there. He's our victor. He has promised us the victory. And through it, we are glorifying him. May God be glorified throughout. May God bless the word to our each and every heart. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. I just have one question. Sister Sabrina, do you, are you uh, in charge with the uh, packing tonight? Or is there packing going on?